Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. podcast episode 129 dex amory brian fonseca we are still in quarantining staying safe at home doing the responsible thing as we should and we've been watching the last dance throughout this process and we decided for the final couple episodes final parts we decided to bring uh i think our first four-time guest if i'm not mistaken well, um, other, than, other than like gerard and jamal right. and those yes. kind of people yeah yes howard beck <laughs> our friend senior Basketball writer. I love to use the word senior when I talk about Howard. Oh, makes yeah. Him feel a little older. <laughs> the, but, the grays may underscore the senior part. <laughs> well, Bleacher. you did famously say get some fucking gray hairs first uh, regarding getting the senior title last time we spoke about You did this. say that. That is true. <laughs> I did. I did. And now, and now karma has bitten my ass because uh, my, my lockdown beard is as gray as my beard has ever been. And, uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, look, I, I earned the senior title, so yeah, that's right. How, how it absolutely get back, has... get back to me, Vinny Goodwill. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to hear Vinny's response on this. Um, uh, Howard, how you doing, man? First of all, how's everything going? Um, I'm hanging in doing all right. Um, things are, uh, things are good. Family's healthy. You know, uh, as I keep telling everybody and it's, we're all having the same thing, you know, here it's like, yeah, good, healthy, all that. And going a little stir crazy, but you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's just kind of part of, of this, this whole, uh, this whole thing. So, um, you know, maintaining sanity as well as we all can. Yep, has that. this, has this sort of sped up the process in terms of setting up? Cause you just moved into a new place. Has this sort of sped up the process in terms of like, just trying to set up around the house and I wish do things. I could- I wish I could say it had, Brian. Um, I've actually kept myself busy enough with work and just other general stuff that, like, I, I, I take that back. We've 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 done a few things around here to kind of get a little bit more settled, but there's a whole bunch of stuff behind those curtains behind me that uh, really needs to be sorted through and uh, <laughs> whittled down. And I kept thinking, oh, we're going to be locked up for a couple of months. I'll get to that because it right. hasn't quite happened yet. So, you know. <laughs> So Howard, Howard actually fooled me there because I said I thought to myself, I said, oh, last time I spoke to Howard, Howard and I did something for Sideline Stories, and I saw the boxes behind there, and I was like, oh, Howard got rid of the boxes now, so it's not there, but no. <laughs> no problem, that works. All right, so during this time, Howard, we've been watching The Last Dance, all 10 parts, just concluded the other night uh, for people who may not have seen it. Um, what did you think of this in a whole? I, we were pretty excited for it, um, enjoyed the whole process of watching it through. What did you think of it as a whole? I enjoyed it a lot. And, you know, look, the, there are any number of critiques that I think were, you know, generally fair. They were fair lines of critique if you're going to critique. I did not watch this 
so much as an NBA reporter or as a journalist who has covered the league for 23 years as I did as simply a, a fan of, of basketball and of those Bulls teams. To me, this was just a chance to relive that era, in, enjoy some of the flashbacks and the new insights and new interviews. And to me, you know, yeah, like I, intellectually, there's there's no question. When people talk about, well, you could have gone deeper on this or you left out this or why didn't you do this? Or is it all skewed because Michael Jordan was part of this whole project and all right, fine. It's all fine. But like, especially at a time like now when really we just needed entertainment period. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to quibble about the details about the last dance. You know, we can, I mean, that's, it's fine. If you guys want to talk about it, <laughs> nope. no, seriously, like we could have those back and forth, but, um, but I'm just saying as a viewer for me, while I appreciate um, a lot of the things that were written about, the documentary and whatever faults people may have seen in it, I thought it was incredibly well done, just really nicely put together, tone, the, the, the scoring, you know, the soundtrack, um, the, the pacing, um, and a lot of the material too. You know, the two things that were most important, if you already lived through the 90s, if you already had seen these teams, aside from just being reminded with some of the old footage, the two things that were new that we looked forward to that were really important that they deliver were the behind the scenes footage that was the basis for doing this, right? All the hundreds of hours, thousands of hours, whatever it was of footage that NBA Entertainment had shot over the 97, 98 season that had never seen the light of day. So you right. wanted that. And then you wanted the modern day interviews with Michael and Scotty and Phil and Dennis Rodman and Kobe and David Stern um, and many, many others putting that era in context going deeper on it, and of course the Bulls themselves reflecting on all of that. And so if the two most important things coming out of this that were new were the old footage that we never got a chance to see and the modern-day interviews of these guys reflecting back in a way that we rarely have, especially with Michael himself, it delivered very well on both counts. And again, if you want to quibble with the way it was presented or whatever else you think was missing or how you think it portrayed Certain people, I get all of that. But was it a phenomenal ride for 10 episodes to deliver on all, the, all that it promised in terms of new insights, new material, new reflections? Yeah, absolutely. At a very high level, I found it very satisfying, really enjoyable. Right. And we talked about some of the criticisms that people have, you know, sort of discussed about The Last Dance and it being, you know, is this something that like Jordan helped produce? Is this something that he obviously had his hands in and all that stuff? And my whole thing, and we talked about this on a recent episode, was that if you're going to do this with Michael Jordan and if you're going to get access to Michael Jordan, that's kind of part of the deal. Like once you're talking about the this level of an elite person at what he does, it comes with the trade. Like, yeah, you're going to have to give up some sort of producer credit, if that makes sense. I mean, is that something that you saw throughout the making of this? Yeah, it's interesting. So I had the director, Jason Hare, on my podcast last week. And, you know, the, the way he viewed it, the way he kind of described it, I think, was just that, um, yeah, you start with, a, with a, a, a starting framework that this is Michael and the NBA have joint ownership of all this old footage. So there's a certain amount of, of, of influence there. But I don't think Michael had like final cut. I don't think Michael was in the editing right, room right. saying, yes, this, no, that, whatever. Now, did they maybe not go down certain roads because of his involvement? I would guess that's probably the case. Um, but 
you know, Jason Hare was was very adamant about the fact that he said, listen, I told the stories that I thought needed to be told. You know, we talked about Michael's gambling problem or, you know, his gambling passion. Right. <laughs> um, right. You know, we, we talked about uh, these various controversies along the way. And we talked about Jesse Helms and we explored these things. And like, that's fair. Now, if somebody wants to, to look at that and say, well, they could have gone further. Yeah, on a lot of things, they could have gone further. It's a 10-part, 10 10-hour 10 documentary that was taking on not just Michael. It wasn't just a straight-up Michael Jordan biography. This was a, 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 a project that was with Michael at the center, but that was rooted in the final season of the greatest modern dynasty we have seen, the Chicago Bulls. And it was Jason Hare's decision to say, well, to tell this story correctly— yeah, it's about the 97-98 season, the sixth championship season. But you can't understand what that season means and why it was, uh, you know, why why roadblocks had been put up from the beginning. Why the general manager Jerry Krause said it's it's over after this. We're not bringing Phil Jackson back, and 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 the, the, this the stage set for this thing to all come apart while they're still at the t- the height of their game. That just doesn't happen. And to um, to explain that correctly, in in Jason Hare's view. Well, then you got to explain why Scotty is pissed off with the franchise, and you got to explain who Dennis Rodman is and how close to the edge he was living and for how long, and you got to explain where Michael came from and where Phil came from, and so, to so that becomes the framework for the series, where you know, okay, we're going to start in '97, '98 because that's what it's about. It's about the Last Dance, but now we got to flash back to Michael Jordan's early seasons and who he was before he was that Michael Jordan, and what Michael playing under Doug Collins was like versus playing under Phil Jackson and how, and what, you know, why, why that was significant and with the changes that came with that. Um, all this stuff along the way, by the time you do all that, you've filled up a lot of airtime. Right. Um, <laughs> so if you want nothing but an exploration of why Michael Jordan, the most influential athlete of our lifetimes did not engage politically, was not an activist of any kind, would not even, you know, uh, advocate for a candidate who was running against a on-the-record racist. Racist, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, to understand that, you, ha- you have, you know, yes. You, so they did just enough to give Michael's perspective and an explanation that we hadn't heard for decades, that we finally got from him directly about, yes, I made the comment about Republicans buy sneakers too. Here's why I don't engage politically or didn't at that time. And if people don't want to accept that, and a lot of people don't, that's fine. But asked and answered, they did it. Could you have gone for an hour on that alone? Yes. Could you have gone for an hour on, you know, um, the, you know, the Jordan brand and the sneakers and the price of those and kids getting killed about over over his sneakers back? Like, yeah, there's all kinds of different tangents you could have gone down. But this wasn't a Michael Jordan biography straight up. It was a lot of Michael Jordan. And he's at the center of it. But it was about that last season. And so I'm sympathetic to, to the critique, but I also am sympathetic to, you know, the 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 filmmakers and the director saying, I, I've got a lot to jam in here. And there's a lot of different pieces of this that I want to use. There's a lot of, of, of just images in this mosaic. You can't get to all of it. You can't go as deep as you might want to on all of it. Um, you know, did you, did, did it, do you have to have Craig Hodges just because Craig Hodges was a teammate who wasn't, who was politically active and who has faced some consequences because of that. Do, do you really mm-hmm. need Craig Hodges to critique Michael when you've already got Barack Obama on camera saying 
yeah, it was disappointing that he didn't do a little more. I, I, don't, I don't know. Obviously, a lot of people feel passionately about that. And I, I have my own opinion on, on what I think Michael could or couldn't or should or shouldn't have done. But I don't think this project was about let's take on every single one of these issues and every potential co uh, controversial issue and go the distance on it. I, I think that that ends up detracting from the conceit of this piece, which was what happened in the 97, 98 season? How did we get there? What was this dynasty about? And then along the way, yes, you have to hit certain uh, markers and certain issues, but I don't think it's reasonable to expect that they were going to get that deep on every issue that, that any given viewer might have thought is the one that, that was of ultimate importance. I, I think you said that well. I couldn't agree with you more on that. <clears throat> um, I haven't had major issue that they didn't go here or there. I actually was surprised they even touched some of the stuff, Howard, like gambling. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't even think they were, I thought they might've just glossed over that, but they did. I didn't even know how deep they would go into his feelings on his father's death, but I was glad they touched that. Cause I thought it showed a lot of why he'd step away from the game and, and all that. And for me as somebody who grew up, uh, during that time and got to watch them, it still was interesting. Cause there were like little gaps and things that I didn't know because I was a teenager. And so watching that was what was interesting. Now with the conclusion, Howard, in, in the final two parts, um, was there anything that stood out to you with how they concluded this uh, end of the story? I, I thought they, I love the ending. I thought they ended it really well. I mean, we kind of knew what the ending was per se, you know, but like, <laughs> yeah. it's still hard when you, you know, it's when you do storytelling, it's hard to tie everything sort of together. I think that can sometimes be one of the hardest things. Um, what, what did you like about how they concluded this project? Um, I thought we got some really good behind the scenes stuff at the end. I'm like, actually I'm, I'm going from my notes from last night. Um, there was there was that line from Phil um, when they're they're like in trouble. What, what was that line where he basically he's like cursing? Like I can't even find it in my notes. But it's basically like we're 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 in fucking trouble. Um, like oh. seeing seeing Phil like loses his cool is just like a very rare thing. Yeah. Um, so it was. Um, oh, there's this uh, guys. This is a scary fucking situation. That was a. a <laughs> Game one, I guess, I think against Utah. Against Utah, um, yeah. I mean, you know, that was the, the, you know, having covered Phil, like it was, it's, it, yes, he's got this Zen calm at times and, and a lot of that he projects. And even during games, it's how his teams always, I think, stay calm. I think the, the, they're often an extension of him, but it's fun to see because you, you know that other piece is there, that other side is there, that occasionally it can't always just be like, okay, breathe, be in the moment, we're fine. <laughs> occasionally it's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna get our asses kicked if you don't pull it together. Um, so, it, like, we we I think it delivered again, like things like that. Seeing Carl Malone go on the team bus, Carl Malone yeah. on the Bulls bus to go congratulate Michael and give him a yeah. hug, like class move by Carl. I thought that was really cool. So um, there were a lot of great moments there. I had either not seen, perhaps, or forgotten Reggie's push off of Michael. Yeah. Oh, not well. I mean, Reggie pushes off all the time. So, but it was, it, but like he's 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 not only copping to it. He's like, in the in the you know in the present day, like, pridefully owning up. Like, yeah, I knew yeah. They were, he was going to switch him onto me, and so I just like he would he just like drove pile drove into him. Um, <laughs> people talk about Michael's push off of Brian Russell, which we can talk about because I think it's overblown. But like, oh, yeah. push, Reggie's push off of Michael. <laughs> that was that was a serious, like yeah. that, that was that was like two linemen in football. Like <laughs> yeah. I joked that I, I joked that it was a wrestling finisher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I there were moments like that I thought were really fun, um, and um, 
I again had either forgotten how bad Scotty's back was, maybe yes. I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't cover that series. That was my first mm-hmm. year covering the NBA, but I was covering the Lakers. Uh, my paper was too cheap to send me to the finals if the Lakers weren't involved, so I wasn't there in '98. Um, so, uh, so th- Scotty's back. I mean, I, I don't know if we knew in, in real time how bad that really was, but um, it just—I think it just makes the, the 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 Bulls' victory in that series and in that game all the more impressive because it's you know it's just fine supporting cast, but like you know Rodman was you know going and doing you know. WW was still WWF back then, right? It was yep. WCW actually. Or WCW, well, all right, so it was Rod- the other promotion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't watch any of that. That's stuff, that's so. Brian's lane, Howard. <laughs> Brian watches Brian watches that stuff. I don't. That was, but here's the that's thing. Brian's that was lane. a pivotal time in the Monday Night Wars oh, between the God. WWF and WCW. Dennis Rodman was helping trying to swing the ratings. This was after Stone Cold helped the WWF take back over the ratings for the first time in about two years. I could do this all day. Only yes. Like, well, you know what and, do you need? And we don't have all day uh, <laughs> okay. uh aw's with tnt now so but, but howard how, you got you got you got aw thank now. you for catching me up on all that <laughs> <laughs> but how they have an ad on your show i'm just you know <laughs> howard you were making the point that we didn't realize how um i don't want to say weak but that supporting cast that was out there with jordan in that game i i thought that too when watching that i still remembered how brilliantly michael played in that last minute and obviously all those plays but just to get back into that game without Pippen for a majority of that game. I have no idea how Pippen played in the second half. It, it's, was a decoy. it's amazing. He was a decoy. You're right. By his own admission. Um, and the rest <laughs> of that supporting cast, I mean, you know, some solid players. And, you know, obviously Steve Kerr made some big shots in his career. And Luke Longley is fine and whatever. But, I mean, you're not looking at that team thinking, like, these are world beaters. And even though Rodman, yes, is a Hall of Famer, but Rodman's a Hall of Famer who, you know, he, he, had, he had very specific things that he was great at. And was better at earlier than later. By the end, there, you know, you're you're starting to, to you know, the, the the eccentricities and the distractions and all the other things with Rodman are starting to outweigh the on court stuff, which we saw because by the by the next season he's with the Lakers. Where I'm covering him for 30 days, and it was like the craziest 30 days I've ever oh, seen. I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> and after that, he was out out of the league. He went to spend like a week with Dallas, and and then that ended badly real quick. So still um, averaging 13 rebounds. Yeah, but. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's not the same as like some of these modern day super teams that we have all seen. This is not the Mm. same thing as Steph and Clay and Kevin Durant or LeBron and Wade and Chris Bosh. Like, right. Rodman was a very specific category that he was checking off. And besides that, this is late career, Michael, and late career, Scotty, who's got a bad back in that game. And it's there's the drop off from those from the top two from Michael and Scotty to the rest is, you know, it's pretty substantial. So, yes, yeah. um, and the, and the, and the jazz had Malone and Stockton, you know, hall of fame duo themselves who had, you know, a solid and younger spryer supporting cast. Um, I'm not saying that made the, the, the bulls, the, the underdog in any way, although frankly they, they didn't have home court, like, you know, and that was the two, three, two. So if they'd lost that game, six game seven was also going to be in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, I forgot about the two, three, two at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's anyway, um, I, I think we often view these dynasties and specifically that one as, well, they just rolled everybody. They just owned the nineties. You know, Michael leaves, Michael comes back. And then as long as Michael was playing, they, they owned the decade. And there's some truth to that. And they were certainly dominant and especially the first three Pete and especially the 72 win season in the second three Pete. But by the end, nothing was automatic like that, that thing, you could see it. You could see the game seven against Indy. 
right. the, 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 how close they were to possibly losing game six in Utah. Um, you know, I, I know we like to think of it as just they just dominated the air and they blew everybody out of the water. And they had to earn some of these, yeah. <laughs> especially at the end there. And that's why I think, you know, to the question that always looms of could they have won another one if they hadn't been broken up? I don't, I don't think there's any guarantee about that. Hey everybody, Brian Fonseca here to tell you about the multi-time award-winning series Out Now that is Side Hustle, which is created, executive produced, hosted, and edited by me, Brian Fonseca. Side Hustle is a sit-down interview series that taps into sacrifice, the odd avenues taken to progress closer to your ultimate dreams, and some jokes as well. Because you know, we always gotta find funny, and we always gotta find time to laugh. Side Hustle has been named to the best TV and web series category at several different film festivals, including the 2020 International New York Film Festival, the New York Movie Awards, and a host of others. Be sure to watch season one in full right now on either BrianFonseca.net or YouTube.com slash BrianFonseca. Brian with a Y, remember. All eight episodes, trailers, teasers, and promo are free to watch, and the series as a whole is approximately two hours long. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a side hustle. Be sure to watch Season 1, out now. So I've gone back and seen, I mean, when Game 6 happened, I was four years old, so I've had to go back and see it in a different capacity. I didn't pick up the Scottie Pippen's injury was that serious, so that was kind of news to me. Like, I had watched the game and been like, okay, the, the announcers obviously mentioned, you know, his back is back, and then he comes back into the game. But that really gave context to how bad was it, where they were even shocked that he came back and played. So that was something that was news to me. And what I wanted to ask both of you guys were, I mean, now that we finished all 10 parts, of those six championships, and, you know, Howard, you just sort of alluded to that you don't think that there would have been a seventh, but of these six championships, how many of them were they legitimately underdogs, I guess, going into the finals, you oh, know, at that time? I don't think any, right, Howard? I don't think they were underdogs in any. Probably not. Like, if, if we're talking about, like, technically, like, based on the betting lines, <laughs> I, I've, never, I've never looked that up. I don't know. I would guess that they were never considered the underdog officially. And I'm guessing if you went by... You know, you know, Sports Illustrated and all the newspapers and everybody who does all the, you know, the pick them and, you know, like, here's here's the series, you know, predicts whatever. Um, I'm guessing the Bulls were probably overwhelmingly favored by media pundits and everybody else all, all throughout. Um, but, you know, I think we just saw, you know, the, the, the series between them and Utah was a lot, you know, a lot closer than maybe people remembered. Um, and that's well, why that's why I asked that because a lot of these series I feel like were a lot closer than people just gave them credit for. Like even the one with Seattle, I mean, granted it was three one at one point, but Seattle did make it interesting toward the end of that. Utah, both of them were six games each, and you know against Indiana they nearly lost, and that was in the conference finals. But against Indiana yeah. they, they nearly lost game seven at home. Yeah. We so. have this, we have this funny thing we do with the NBA where if you. If it goes to seven, we think, oh, man, you were really on the ropes. It could have gone either way. And if it's six, we, we go, well, four, two. <laughs> right. That's one game difference. Right. Right. It does, right. It could still be a hard four at six game series. That is possible. Yes. yes. Yeah. Now, if it's the six game series that went started 3-0 and then a team dicked around and all of a sudden the next thing you know, you wake up and it's 3-3 or even when you go 3-1. Nick, Nick Celtics 2013 playoffs. Yeah. So yeah, those, those things can happen and you don't really believe a team was ever really in it. I know, I remember people talked about Lakers Celtics in 08 
where mm. that one was six and people said, oh, it wasn't really like six. Like the Lakers were never really in it. And I thought, eh, actually, I, th I thought they were legitimately in it for a mm. little bit there and whatever. But people look at that one as a six game series that they felt like was lopsided. And these six game series against the Jazz, I don't feel like were, were lopsided. Like these were le legitimately competitive and obviously went down to the, to the wire uh, in 98. And, and yeah, that, that could have gone seven. And then we'd be, we'd be talking about it in a different context. But um it's it's just to say that the gap isn't always as big as it appears to be. Um, right. It 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 is you know Phil Jackson has this funny phrase um, that I always love to to use where he says these things turn on a trifle, um, <laughs> and and it's a it's a really goofy Phil phrase, but um, it just means that that, that it is it's these these little things these little wrinkles these little hiccups along the way and and it you know a, a bounce here, a call there. A, um, a you know whatever a, a four Charles Smith that's, layups that's like a millisecond late whatever <laughs> what's that I said four Miss Charles Smith layups that that'll do it for you too <laughs> a lot of these last dance episodes that's have been tri coming back that's not one that's tri four trifles that is right Howard four yeah, trifles and a, and a lot of these last dance episodes have been coming back to the Knicks a lot so because Dexter's Dexter's kind of relived his pain I relived my my childhood pain parts. Howard through this like <laughs> at the at the end of the at the end of this they have to show obviously the Ewing baseline, the Jordan baseline dunk on Ewing, the Pippen dunk on Ewing. They had to put that in the montage at the end, and I'm sitting there like, great. We did we really need to see this again? All right, all right. So I'll ask you, as the Knicks, as the resident Knicks uh, fan or Knicks follower, in any case here, yes. that, that um, in in '99 the Knicks make it as an eighth seed, which is crazy, unprecedented, and and we will probably never see again. So mm. when you talk about the hypotheticals of the Bulls staying together, in some ways, I think that. Right, now, and who knows? Maybe Miami would have knocked the Bulls out if the Bulls had really been weakened. But mm -hmm. if you think about it, Jordan another year older and Pippen breaking down a little bit. And if, if they did manage to keep him and he's he's still carrying all the bitterness. So there's that. Rodman has got like, you know, he's half checked out mentally. So who knows? He's a wild card. The other guys are all a year older. They didn't have the cap room to add anybody. So if you just ran back that same team with all of its sort of frailties, which is a funny thing to say about a championship team, but... If the standard is beating an eighth-seeded Knicks team that really wasn't that good, sorry. No, um, that's true. That's fair. Maybe, so maybe the Bulls make it, and and maybe they've got a shot against the Spurs of Duncan Robinson. I don't know. I mean, it's it, like th these things are impossible to to game out hypothetically. Right. Um, but I, I, you, Howard, would you think? Do you think that a lockout season? Because that's kind of interesting that you bring that up. Because it was a lockout season, right? So yeah. do you think that that would have favored them as an older team having it's, less games? But there were also those. You also weren't, weren't there back to back to backs in that season. Back to back to backs, right? Yeah. So yeah, it the was, worst schedule ever. <laughs> it was it was fifty games in ninety days. It was absolutely exhausting mm -hmm. for for us too. Um, I'm guess, <laughs> guessing for the players. Yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely for me. Um, and yes, there every team had was it one two sets of, of back to back to backs. I can't remember. So yeah, an older team with not a lot of depth, like the Bulls. And not to mention, they'd be trying to make their fourth straight finals. Um, mm. I, I, I think the regular season would have been really hard on them. And this was not an era of load management, of course. Right. But they probably would have wisely said, we, we can't play Michael 40 minutes every night. We can't play Sky. They would have probably measured it out. And they also would have had off more time than they'd ever had off before. Because that season didn't start until the first week of February. Yep. Yeah. So they would have had more time to recover and maybe that would have benefited the Bulls. Maybe that would have been in their favor as a, as a championship team. Um, but if they could make it through the gauntlet of 50 games in 90 days, whatever seed they had, 
could they have emerged? I mean, I, obviously the East wasn't that good. And again, I'm not saying this is a slight on the Knicks. It's just, it, 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 they were an eighth seed. Like that doesn't happen. And that, that is certainly a statement to an extent about maybe that season or maybe just the state of the Eastern Conference at that moment uh-huh. in the vacuum that the Bulls left behind. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I think that's fair. So- so we talked about, obviously, I mean, where we saw, you know, the aftermath and how it sort of ended and, and people thought that they could have ran it back another season, whatever, whatever. I was wondering, because I don't actually know about this because I wasn't obviously, you know, fully formed at the time or anything like that. But was it impossible that Michael Jordan could have been a free agent at that point and go to a different team? Or did he just want to retire or Bulls or was it Bulls or bust? Um. My friend, the great Sam Smith, who, of course, wrote the Jordan Rules book Jordan Rules, and yeah. uh, covered uh, both three-peats for the Chicago Tribune um, and is, of course, in the Hall of Fame, still writing. Uh, he's, he's working for Bulls.com now. But Sam's uh, – I had him on my podcast at the beginning of, of the Last Dance series. Sam's thing is, look, um, Michael says he wouldn't have played for any other coach but Phil. I'm not so sure. You know, he loved Doug Collins, but then he – Grew to love Phil Jackson. Um, and Michael says a lot of things. Sam says it's a lot. Michael simply says a lot of things. Like, I'm never coming back. I'm retired, but it's 99.9% or whatever. Yeah. Um, he says things. Um, Sam's belief, and Sam knows that team as well as anyone, Sam thinks that if Phil had left, but Frank Hamlin, who was you know one of Phil's core staff guys, if, if, if Frank Hamlin could have been the head coach, Phil's hand-chosen guy, with you know Phil's blessing and the aura of Phil, you know his 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 touch, then maybe Michael would play for Hamlin, and if if Michael's back, then maybe Scotty, maybe Scotty sticks around instead of saying no, I got to get my big payday finally, and I'm going to go, I'm going to take the sign and trade to the to the Rockets, um, you know, maybe, maybe, um, clearly uh, Phil was not coming back. The rift between him and Jerry Krause was pretty toxic. And Phil himself, again, I'm relying on Sam Smith on this. You know, Sam says, listen, Phil was already, Phil had decided before the, this the last dance season started. Phil, Phil was done anyway. Um, and you can kind of tell, like, Phil said it in a couple places within the documentary. Like, he, you know, there were a couple times in Phil's career where you could see he was just ready to walk away. Now, he came back a year later after leaving the Bulls to, to coach the Lakers, but, um, you could tell like he needed it too. In the same way that you could see that Michael really needed to get away in, in 93, um, that, that there was just this, this fatigue that had set in and, you know, Phil, it's such a, it was so, uh, moving and poetic and especially with Steve Kerr describing it in the final minutes last night, yeah. uh, in episode 10 of them all writing something that they felt about each other and then putting it in this copy can and then lighting it on fire and, and basically saying like, these are words that we will never speak again, but these are things we need to say to each other before we part ways. And it was a, there was such finality to that. And um, you, know, you could say it's because Jerry Krause had already telegraphed that we're going to break it up. But I think, I think everybody, you know, including, and especially Phil Jackson knew that this was, this was just, it was just time. It was coming to a close. And it's it's nice to think that if they had just run it back, they could have, you know, they, you know, they either defend the championship and win a fourth straight, which would have, you know, and a seventh in, in nine years, which would have been insane. Um, or maybe they just go down fighting, which is I like kind of like that's the that's the message that Michael had kind of sent, like, hey, we should at least get the chance to defend. To defend and if you it, knock yeah. us off, fine, we'll accept that. Well, OK, but I think that would have really stung. 
Like, mm. one, maybe he goes to the, to the finals and loses, and now he's only 6-1 and one instead of 6-0. and oh. Or maybe he just doesn't make it, gets knocked out in the conference finals by the Heat or the Knicks or the Pacers. And um, we would have seen Michael's last great moments as a bull in a very different light. Yeah. Because it would have been him getting knocked out instead of going out triumphantly with his hand held up while, you know, <laughs> while Brian, by, Byron Scott uh, uh, picks himself up off the floor. Uh, or Byron, Rus- uh, Byron Russell. Russell. Yep. Um, Byron Scott. Uh, Brian <laughs> Russell. See, this is, the, this is the thing that screws everybody up. And this is why people say Byron instead of Brian. And it is yes. Brian. But Brian. B-R-I-O-N. He's the only person on earth who's ever done that. It's just... It's, yeah. yeah. I used to call him Byron Russell, too, and we have yeah, the same name. Yeah. yeah, no, I, and I, I let it get in my head because everybody always messes <laughs> it up. And I'm always trying to lecture other people. No, it's Brian. It's Brian. I probably remember one year when he, he was with the Lakers briefly. Brian Russell. Um, <laughs> so while Brian Russell's picking himself up off, off the floor and Michael's in that pose, and it's such this, this perfect, poetic yes. final moment for the, one of the all-time, if not the all-time great career. And yeah, he came back with Washington, which we, you know, we just, we can forget about that. But <laughs> if, if Michael's last moment in a Bulls jersey was walking off the court, head slumped, having lost in the second round with a broken down Bulls team and Dennis yeah. Rodman having, you know, like gone AWOL and, and is off in the middle of like, you know, <laughs> Area 21 or something while the Bulls are playing. <laughs> Is that the way we would have wanted? Like, I think to some extent, I don't say Jerry Krause did anybody a favor by by saying this is it, because he's not the only hand in that. There's a lot of hands in that. And Michael could have come back if he wanted to anyway. Um, I think that to an extent, this ended the way it should have. How is that for a fatalistic kind of hokey? No, I kind of, yeah. I get it. Though. I agree. I, I agree. Like yeah. In a, yeah, I agree too. I just feel like in a different in a different generation, like if this happens 10, 15 years later, he he's probably a free agent instead, and then you know it, it ends in a well, weird way. Okay, you know what I mean? And Brian, you asked. That, yes, he could have simply played somewhere else. That's also possible. Yeah, it's clear that he didn't want to do that. Right. Um, and some combination of the lockout and the finger injury that he he got from slicing a tendon from on his cigar cutter. I think all of this factors into it somehow, possibly. Um, but the bottom line is, I think this thing, it probably ended when it should have. It's, it's, oh, it's better that they went out on top it is, in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, I, I think there, it might've been sad seeing the bulls stumble through a season after that. I mean, that's a stumble, maybe too strong a word, but I, they would not have been the same. They wouldn't have had that same aura. They were, you know, there, there's a, a, an attrition that happens physically, emotionally, mentally, when you've been, I mean, we we saw it with the Warriors, you yep. know, how, like how tough yeah. it is to watch them like literally falling apart. Yeah, like, I mean, that's how most fly. that's how most stories end, right? You know? and, and I think that's how it's pointed, right? Like most stories end in some way badly, and 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 in this situation, the Bulls actually sort of had—I don't want to call it perfect, but it was they a, avoided it. It was yeah. a nice fairy tale ending, as as you said, with the pose and the shot and everything. And I want to talk about that shot uh, that you brought up on Brian Russell, not Byron. <laughs> Uh, Howard, foul or not? Ryan Russell, yeah, keep talking. Yeah, if there's there's a lot of uh, controversy around the shot uh, that Jordan hit, his final famous shot. I won't say controversy. At the time, I remember, I remember going to school the next day and people saying, "Oh, that was a foul. That was a push off." And at the time, I'm going to admit this. At the time, because I was a, a Nick fan, Jordan hater, <laughs> I was like, "Man, he pushed off." But the, the, the adult, more mature me, can look at this and was like, no, nah, man, 
Uh, Brian, Brian was slipping, man. He was. This Russell. is the second time you've done this. I've, I've, this is the second time you've done I've this, done this on, on the Jordan podcast. Episodes. I, yeah, I've. Uh, let, I'll also let Howard know. I have admitted that Charles Smith was not fouled when he missed those four layups, and that actually was stellar defense <laughs> by the Bulls. I've actually admitted that after uh, years of not admitting it. However, back to Brian Russell. <laughs> it's a great shot, a great move in my in my eyes. Um, I'm sure there's some people out there, probably jazz fans who are still a little salty about this. What do you make of, of that shot, that moment and the final minute? Cause I think that's kind of what gets lost Howard too, is how great Jordan was in the final minute, going for the two for one, getting the steal on Malone, hitting the shot. Yeah, no, um, all of that, Michael had, that's maybe one of the, the most brilliant, um, impactful, memorable, final minutes, you know, of, of a, of a championship, um, to be orchestrated by, by the singular star, right? Like, you know, you're, you're used to seeing, um, you know, any number of guys contribute to a, 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 you know, last, whatever, three, four possessions in a tight game. Maybe it's Steph on this play and it's Durant on this play, or it's, you know, it's, it's, it's LeBron and it's Wade. And what, that it was like just all Michael, like every important thing for the last, however many seconds that was, is, is all Michael. Um, and the final shot, in real time, I remember thinking, like, I, I didn't view it as any big push off, anything else. And I remember in the aftermath, there was some discussion of that. It is one of those things that has grown in legend over time. In other words, huh. five years after that championship, 10 years, and certainly now, now it's all about, oh, yeah, Michael pushed off, whatever. And that's, that's grown into this, this much bigger kind of theme of that game than it really was, I think, in real time. Like, I don't remember there being, like, you know, uh, frame-by-frames, deep analysis, you know, everybody's screaming. There was a lot less 24-hour, or uh, there was there was not the volume of debate shows that we right. have now back then. Seriously. Um, so, but I don't remember it being as intense or as, as, as much, as, as, or as, as considered um, a given that this is, that this is canon. He pushed off. It's now just an accepted thing. So I'm, I'm glad everybody got a chance to, to watch it again from multiple angles. And and with Costas also saying that he had the great line about it was like a maitre d' showing yeah. you to your, to your table. table. <laughs> My, Michael is driving right, and Brian Russell is shadowing him to try to stay in front of him, and then Michael crosses over, comes back to his left, and Brian Russell's momentum is completely carrying him the other direction. If Michael never put his hand on Russell's butt, I think Russell still is too far off that way and stumbling to contest. Um, I mean, did he, did he smack him on the butt along the way? Yeah. But even as Michael's making his move, I think it's a stretch to say that he could have put that much force behind his left hand while he's gathering with the right and, and going up. So, um, you know, was it enough of a push off to, to be called a foul in real time or for anybody to have a, a, It, it, uh, the fact that it was in the same episode with Reggie Miller's very, very blatant two hand just like <laughs> shoving into the chest of Jordan is funny because, like, no, no, no. if you want to know what, what, like, the, the bar is, like, that's the bar. That one wasn't called. Um, so, you know, uh, that's my view. The 
The Sports Walk is back. Watch season three of Backpack Broadcasting's original web series that brings you the opinions of real sports fans. The first two seasons and current season are available now for viewing on the Sports Walk YouTube channel and Facebook page. Check out the 2017 NYC WebFest official selection and see what other sports fans have to say on the hottest issues in sports today. It's easy. Just take the Sports Walk. No, no, it's good. Now, a lot of this discussion uh, around this, Howard, I- I've seen it throughout The Last Dance, has been bringing it back to Jordan versus LeBron. It's kind of a debate that I feel has been overly exhausted. And then I saw ESPN did some poll yesterday where they asked uh, people about from different age groups and different demographics, who's better, Jordan or LeBron? I won't ask you who you think is better. I, I not Thank that, you. Yeah, I, I kind of don't care. <laughs> Howard, I, I like you, but I, I kind of don't care. What I will ask you, though, is um, do you think with younger audiences and people you've talked to younger, like Brian, who, who didn't experience Jordan, do you think this elevates the status of Jordan in their eyes? Do you think there's an impact on a younger generation who might have watched this documentary? And does that change maybe what they thought they knew of Jordan in seeing this documentary now? It's a great question, Dex. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would I would hope it gives them a little bit of a different insight. I mean, listen, everything is available on YouTube and there's a zillion other ways to kind of go and learn about Michael Jordan and to see um, just how great he was. Um, but I, I, I think something like this, like a documentary like this, if you are someone who did not live through that era watching this, I could I think it could only enhance like your your understanding and your appreciation of of his greatness and of his dominance um, but everybody is a bit of a, a, uh, captive to their generation, their time. And so, you know, there, there are always going to be older school guys who say Bill Russell was the greatest. Kareem was the greatest. And if you're, you know, born in the last, you know, whatever, 30 years, maybe you're going to, you're going to say LeBron was the greatest. Um, or you're, or at least you're going to have more leaning that way. I mean, and, and it's also understandable because the, the guys that you saw dominate in real time, and saw evolve and see where their stumbles were and see when they persevered and all this, it just gives you a different kind of appreciation that I think is hard to replicate. So if you did not see Jordan live or you did not see him go through all this in the 90s and you just know the basics, his points per game averages and his shooting percentages and his 6-0 and in the finals and whatever, that's, not, that's, a, that's a textbook understanding, right? It's not the same as having lived it, watched it, um, appreciated it in real time. And so it just makes a different kind of impact on you if you haven't watched these things in real time. And so um, that's why I understand why the debate happens and everything else. I was, I've always thought it was a, a fairly silly debate. And um, I also, you know, I've done a couple stories in the last five years or whatever about the, the GOAT discussion. One story that was about Jordan and how he overshadowed this whole generation of all these guys uh-huh. who came up with that whole burden of having to be the next Jordan. I wrote one uh, last year about um, why big men are never considered the GOAT and why this is always about, you know, even being LeBron versus Jordan, like, why does that leave out Kareem and Wilt and Russell? Um, And so in in doing that and then going back, one of the things, and I I knew this instinctively just having grown up along the way and and remembering where certain things kind of entered into the the discussion, but I went back and looked just to, to kind of verify this. One, the term GOAT, 
as an acronym, mm-hmm. we didn't say GOAT until like five years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Like pe- the GOAT was not a, an expression. Greatest of all time was not a designation. Right. And if you go back, so the idea that, that you know, LeBron is trying to wrest it away from Jordan now, Jordan didn't wrest that away from anybody because mm-hmm. there was no universally agreed upon standard at that time. Larry Bird had been had been uh, labeled as as the greatest player of all time a couple times in Sports Illustrated, including with through a quote by Red Auerbach. Um, and there were people who always thought of Kareem as being the greatest or, you know, he's or he was, you know, and then Russell was always the greatest winner. But there was not one specific player in NBA history who was considered the guy, the standard until Michael came along. And by the time he was done. Even then, I don't know. I don't know when the term greatest of all time became the designation, but I'm telling you, the acronym GOAT did, was not like no. routinely no. used until in, in the 21st century. So yeah. um, anyway, it's, so it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing, and it, it, is, it is a tough standard, and all these guys have to be measured against who they played and in, and in the style they played because the, the basketball has evolved so much. So when you're, any, any of these cross-era comparisons are inherently fraught. It's yeah. funny that you mentioned the goat thing because the first time I ever heard the term goat was actually in a a newspaper of all places, uh, a newspaper in the year 2000. It was during the Subway series and they were calling Armando Benitez the goat because I think he blew a save or something like that. Oh, so it was a yeah. negative when I first heard about it. Yeah, the gas, and like then the it gas became one. the greatest right. of all time thing yeah, year, hero years and later. Sport, sports writing, you know, in the, in the basic cliches of sports writing, you were always a hero or a goat. Right. The hero's the winner, the goat's the loser. loser. You're yeah. the goat. goat was a bad thing. Lowercase G-O-A-T. It didn't yeah. become uppercase G-O-A-T with periods Goods or maybe without. Um, <laughs> or just a little goat emoji. We didn't have emojis back then. I was going to say, now it's an emoji. <laughs> so like, this is the way that, like, you know, the, the, the sports, you know, discourse and debate has evolved. But, um, but even, like I said, the, the idea of somebody being the goat in a good way, um, I don't think really was a common expression until maybe you know, the mid 2000s, 2007, 10, somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. That feels about like right. That, 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 that feels right. Yeah. It definitely feels about right. Um, as, as we wrap up here, Howard, I guess what the next, I thought, I've thought about this in terms of, we saw how great the production was. You seem to enjoy it, the music, everything in, in here. What do you think the next, uh, documentary like this that we should see, uh, maybe around the team? Cause you know, NBA entertainment, I've known some people work there. They're all, they're thinking more about these things now ahead of, of time. What's what's something next that you'd like to see the NBA do and tackle on this? Kareem, Kareem would be good. Um, I mean, there's there there are plenty of players and, and teams from the past that I think would be fun to, to dive back into. But um, so it could be a very long list. But I think the, the obvious one for me is Kobe. Um, mm. As as with Jordan. And, you know, and in Jordan's case, it was it was NBAE who went to them and said, hey, we'd like to, to document the whole final season here, the last dance season. And then Jordan and the NBA agreed. Um, Kobe actually had people like it was his idea. He brought people on board to, to film his final season with the Lakers in 2015-16. And so I don't know who owns that footage or where it is, um, but there is behind the scenes footage of Kobe's entire final season. And um you know, that he's gone makes, I think, that footage even that much more interesting and vital. Um, even if he were here, I think my answer today would be the same. It, it's knowing that because I knew I knew that 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 uh, crew had followed him around because 
when the, when the Lakers came to New York for their final weekend and I was writing about Kobe as everybody else was, and I, I did a couple of those quick sidles down the hallway with them and we're ta- talking because I'm trying to get some stuff for Historium <clears throat> I'm doing on him. And, um, and the camera crew was right there. So I had to get used to the idea of the boom mic. I'm having this, pro, you know, presumably one-on-one conversation with them, but like the boom mic is always there right. <laughs> as we're walking down the hallway. Um, and I talked to some, I know some of those guys. And so I, I knew they were filming it. And so that's always been in the back of my head that, um, like I say, even, even before, even before we lost Kobe, I thought, you know, that whatever the documentary that could be, uh, uh, you know, created out of his final season with the Lakers final yeah. season of, of this incredible 20 year career would be, would be a, a really great one to see. And so, um, but yeah, now, especially with him gone, I, I, I feel like I, I hope, um, I, you know, the family, obviously I, I would think will have a lot to say about that. And of course they should, but, yeah. um, but I selfishly, I, I hope we get to see that at some point because I think there could be a, a really powerful, powerful documentary made out of that one. Yeah. yeah and, and, Howard, and Howard, I think I heard you talk about this with, uh, with, I think it was the pod where you have Ramona and Jay Donde on, and you guys were talking about, uh, how Kobe was being followed for his last season. I didn't even know about that. Like, I didn't know that he, you know, had a crew following him with the intention of perhaps, you know, putting this out one day similar to what we just saw. So I think that would be very interesting. I kind of hope that we don't see it yet. I think that it's too soon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. I think we should wait. You know, I don't know what the time is. I mean, you know, like you said, leave it up to his family. Um, The reason why I mentioned Kareem before, because Dex and I have talked about this before, I think that the way this Michael Jordan one is kind of hitting for people of my generation, because they're targeting us, like they're kind of targeting 26, you know, 30, whatever the, the demographic is, but they're targeting the younger generation. Jordan definitely is because he wants people to know people that missed out. He wants people to know just that he was that dude. And I think with Kareem, he's one of these guys that as we, you know, as time goes, a lot of people, like I, I at least was born when Jordan was out here and I saw him with the Bulls a little bit and I saw him with the Wizards. I didn't see Kareem at all because I was born years after he even retired and his best years were in the seventies. So I wasn't even a thought long before then. So what I'm thinking is that at some point there needs to be some sort of deep dive into you know kareem and what made him great and why he was in this uh i guess discussion for being the best center ever or whatever the case may be for a number of years i think that you know in doing that and targeting i guess people that were born in the 90s or people that were born in the 80s who kind of missed out on him i think kareem abdul jabbar is probably next on my list that needs one of these you know for for people to understand just how great he was because i i get it in terms of going back and looking at stuff, but I'm not going to get it to the point of where, you know, people who actually saw and experienced it have gotten it. And I think that we need that. Well, it was a, it, this is a different um, kind of documentary, but I mean, HBO did uh, do a Kareem piece in, yeah. in 20, I was also just looking up 2015 uh, called minority of one. And, um, and that was fantastic. It was. And I think was a, a really great insight into Kareem, but I, I recall it was much, it was much more about Kareem, the man than Kareem, yeah, uh, and that's the thing. And, and also, it's, I mean, no disrespect, but it's also like HBO is a different kind of platform where yeah. I don't think a lot of people, a lot of people don't have premium cable in that way, or a lot of people just don't have HBO in that way. Where I think that if you put, if you put Kareem on, you know, ESPN or a TNT or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and and one that, you know, one that's different than, you know, just Kareem the man, because a lot of people don't even know about Kareem the basketball player. And stylistically, HBO's documentary is different than, say, what they just did with ESPN. Um, Right. 
on, on the Jordan Bulls. So, um, yeah, no, I, I could definitely see that. And you want to do it, you know, while, you know, Kareem is still around, obviously, to, to That's the other thing, give, yeah. us, give us his own reflections. And you always you always think about, you know, when, you know, when some of these icons get up there in years and you, and you think, you know, I mean, uh, you know, who knew we were going to lose David Stern when we did? Who knew uh, certainly we weren't that we were going to lose Kobe when we when we we did? And so, um, yeah. but especially for folks um, who are the, the the giants of the game as they're getting up there, and you you start to think, you know, you, you hope that if there are still stories left to be told, um, right. that they get a chance to tell them. Yeah. Um, while 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 we're uh, while we have the opportunity to ask, but uh, yeah, Dex, so who's yours? Kobe for me. Cause I was a, I was a fan of him. I think definitely, but I think I'm like I'm like you, Howard. Where it's it's we got to wait on that one a little bit. I, I think I, I don't know if we'll see that for five to ten years, maybe. And I'm fine with that. Um, I, I do think Kareem would be a good one, although I thoroughly enjoyed the HBO doc because I gave me a lot of insight to him as a man. And then I interviewed him from something later, and I think it was 2017. That was some other production company I was doing some work with, and he was it was great to talk to him just about talking about jazz actually, which which he's a huge jazz fan, so that was cool. Um, you know, another player I would like to see. I know something's been done on him for thirty for thirty, but I kind of would like maybe a little bit more. Allen Iverson would not be a bad one to mm. me that I would find mm. a little bit fascinating, and then I think another obvious one, a good one to look back. I would like to look back at the Miami Heat team of the early twenty tens. And what they went through with LeBron and the pressure, but that probably fits mm-hmm. well into a LeBron doc. So, yeah. which we know is yeah. going to happen someday. So, I hope yeah. we get the yeah. Iverson one that you mentioned because this, you know, now in the in this era, people are going to look back at he's another one where his numbers are not going to age well. People are going to be like, oh, he put up all these numbers because he played forty two minutes a game. You know, his per thirty sixes and all that stuff. Where I feel like he's another one of these guys where. You, you had to have been there to experience what it was. You saying that actually makes me think of another guy who I think I've always ch- say, I think a lot of people, I think, Coward, you might agree with me on this, and people forget how good he was. I think, and he was in this doc, Isaiah Thomas. I think Isaiah Thomas, Yeah. Um, I know we had the, Pist- the Bad Boy Pistons doc, but I think Isaiah Thomas was so good. And you ask a lot of people from Chicago, they'll talk about how great he was. Um, I think he sometimes gets undervalued uh, at times. Well, but plus, plus he's, he's got an incredibly compelling life story. Yeah. Um, yeah. To have come from where he did, yep. and um, I, you know, it, it, it's the unfortunately, you know, um, you know the you know, the the last whatever 10, 15 years have not been kind to Isaiah mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways, and I think that the last dance stirred up a lot of the, the, the negative feelings toward the bad boys and toward Isaiah in particular, yeah. and certainly his run with the Knicks um, had a, a, a lot of things that that kind of uh, have been hard for him to shake. But it doesn't make his life story and the, the perseverance that it took to uh, become the, the, the player and, and the individual that he is, it doesn't take away from how compelling or, or inspiring that can be. Yep. Um, all these other things happen too. And, um, but I, I, I think that, yeah, I don't know if that's, a, I don't think that's ever really been done other than, as you say, folded into the bad boys doc. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, think, I think for sure that would be a great one. Now, before we get you out of here, Howard, got to ask you, because, you know, I, I, we talked about this. Howard, for people who don't know, uh, was in a piece I did for Sideline Stories talking about how journalists are dealing uh, with things through COVID-19. Uh, I got to check in on you because it's been some weeks since we talked, Howard. How are you dealing with the storytelling aspect of still, you know, writing, covering stories, producing content like your Full 48 podcast? Um, I know we talked in the piece about 
exhaustion <laughs> uh, in terms of the lists that we see people do and that kind of being, you know, out there. And I've become, I'm definitely tired of it already. Um, <laughs> so Howard, how are you doing journalistically with, with all this? Well, the, the, the podcast has been the one constant and, you know, I have two episodes a week. And so um, some of those have been more specific to the situation. They were the moment that we're in. I had on uh, a couple of epidemiologists on the podcast to talk about what would it take for the NBA to safely return. Um, and then a lot of episodes have been, you know, and some have been, you know, featuring, you know, players or others who are just, you know, hey, let's talk about what you're doing right now. And, um, and then a lot of them have been last dance oriented recently. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, when I had Jason Hare on, I, I said, thank you for giving us all, you know, such needed content, not just the entertainment, but like for all of us who are in media, yeah. you know, <laughs> give everybody something to talk about and debate again. Um, so it, it's, it's been a lot of that. And then uh, there's, there's uh, a couple smaller things I've been working on. And then one big one, I've got a big uh, uh, piece that should be coming out first week of June that I've been Ooh. spending a lot of time on throughout this whole period. Yeah. I don't want to give away anything about no, it. No, no, no. Can't, can't, uh, it's a, it it is a backwards look, not a forwards look. Good. I'll say that much. Good. Um, and it's one that uh, I've been wanting to do for a long time, and uh, I'm, I'm have, it's it's going to be a lot of fun as soon as I finish it. Okay. I'm, I'm, mm, I would, we're def we're definitely that, excited definitely. for that. Um, glad you're staying well, sane, healthy, uh, and that whole thing. Thank, thank you. Thank you, as always. Uh, the great Howard Beck, senior writer for Beach Report. We've got, remember, senior. Important word being talked about. You right. see it in the beard. This is where, beard. <laughs> this is where the senior comes in. Not calling, not <laughs> calling you old, Howard. You know we'd never do that, but you've got to, got to put some respect on that senior title. And if you don't know, Howard, in the previous episode, explained what you have to do to earn that senior title, which is very important. Don't You can't be out here faking a senior title. And also, please check out his podcast, The Full 48. Uh, fantastic stuff, as always, for all the basketball fans out there. That's it for this episode of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Until next time, y'all. Peace.